Deacon Andrew here again as we uh, go through the final uh, few articles of the Articles of Religion. I'm glad for everyone who stuck it out with me on this series and hope that it's been beneficial. Without further ado, we'll dive into Article 35 of the Homilies. The second book of Homilies, several titles whereof we have joined under this article, doth contain a godly and wholesome doctrine, and necessary for these times, as doth the former book of homilies, which are set forth in the time of Edward the Sixth, and therefore we judge them to be read in churches by the ministers, diligently and distinctly, they may be understanded of the people. Of the names of the homilies. 1. Of the right use of the church. 2. Against the peril of idolatry. 3. Of repairing and keeping clean of churches. 4. Of good works, first of fasting. 5. Against the gluttony and drunkenness. 6. Against excess of apparel. 7. Of prayer. 8. Of the place and time of prayer. 9. That common prayers and sacraments ought to be ministered in a known tongue. 10. Of the reverend estimation of God's word. 11. Of almsdoing. 12. Of the nativity of Christ. 13. Of the passion of Christ. 14. Of the resurrection of Christ. 15. Of the worthy receiving of the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ. 16. Of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. 17. For the rogation days. 18. Of the state of matrimony. 19. Of repentance. 20. Against idleness. 21. Against rebellion. Note that the American Articles of Religion as adopted add the following to Article 35. This article is received in this church so far as it declares the Book of Homilies to be an explication of Christian doctrine and instructive in piety and morals. But all references to the Constitution and laws of England are considered as inapplicable to the circumstances of this church, which also suspends the order for the reading of said homilies in churches until a revision of them may be conveniently made for the clearing of them, as well from obsolete words and phrases as from the local references. That concludes Article 35. I do want to make a note here. The homilies, or the two books of homilies, are an excellent resource uh, for both uh, laity and for ministers. The original context of the homilies is that they were originally authored uh, in two uh, batches, for lack of a better term. The first uh, batch, or the first volume, if you will, was originally done uh, during the Reformation, uh, mostly by Thomas Cramner and with other uh, early Anglican reformers. Uh, these were basically uh, prepackaged sermons so that uh, anyone who did not have a license to preach or was not a well-educated minister could simply uh, read through these homilies uh, whenever uh, a sermon is called for during the service. The second book of homilies, uh, which were done during the time of uh, Queen, uh, excuse me, during uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, were then reissued, or were not reissued, but were issued for the first time, and they are an additional uh, set of homilies. They're the ones that are listed out uh, of the name of the homilies, uh, the 21 that I just went through. And uh, these were done uh, after um, Queen Elizabeth uh, restored uh, the, the Protestant faith uh, to the Church of England 
and also uh, extremely useful. They are more topical in nature. Uh, you probably noticed that several of them uh, have to do with holy days of the church uh, and also guide uh, in terms of uh, various uh, political circumstances such as uh, rebellion. Um, I think that they're definitely worthy of reading. They're very interesting, a lot of references to the church fathers, and can definitely help you to understand the context of the uh, English Reformation and uh, what we have inherited in the Anglican Communion. Um, that being said, it's also notable that in the American context that the Protestant Episcopal Church uh, did receive uh, the Book of Homilies uh, as a faithful Christian doctrine, uh, but they did caveat that any references to England, of course, uh, would not apply to the American uh, Church uh, due to the recent, uh, or the then recent revolution. Uh, between the colonies uh, and Great Britain. Uh, it's interesting to note that in the American edition, it also states that uh, the reading of the homilies in churches would be suspended, but only until a revision of them would be made. Such a revision was never made, and, uh, and therefore the, uh, the homilies are still suspended, technically, uh, for reading in the church. Uh, I don't believe that that means that they're prohibited, because it does have good doctrine, but the intent clearly was for the early American uh, Episcopal Church to, uh, as it says in, in the uh, amended article, to uh, clear uh, any local references of England and also obsolete words and phrases. So besides, you know, living with such obsolete words and phrases, I don't find uh, too many of them from my personal reading of the homilies. Uh, they're definitely good for reading and, uh, and learning the context of the English Reformation and the doctrine. I'll also end with this. If you want to get a copy of the two books of homilies, there's a number of editions that are around. Uh, several are a lot more affordable than the other ones, but I do recommend uh, investing in Dr. Gerald Braid's uh, critical text version of the book of homilies. You can see how the homilies evolved um, over time, how certain words were changed uh, and altered, and uh, it's also just a great resource. Now, it is an expensive version of the book, but I think it's worthwhile. Article 36 of Consecration of Bishops and Ministers. The Book of Consecration of Archbishops and Bishops and Ordering of Priests and Deacons, lately set forth in the time of Edward VI and confirmed at the same time by authority of Parliament, doth contain all things necessary to such consecration and ordering. Neither hath it anything that of itself is superstitious and ungodly. And therefore, whosoever are consecrated and ordered according to the rights of that book, since the second year of the forenamed King Edward unto this time, or hereafter shall be consecrated or ordered according to the same rites, we decree all such to be rightly, orderly, and lawfully consecrated and ordered. Now the American version of Article 36 makes minor changes. For example, instead of referencing uh, King Edward VI and Parliament, it simply says that uh, this book, as set forth by the General Convention of the Church in 1792, it also changes language towards the end, the last sentence, by removing references to King Edward, and stating instead that, and therefore, whosoever are consecrated or ordered according to said form, we decree all such to be rightly, orderly, and lawfully consecrated and ordered. So minor changes there, uh, with the addition that it does strike out a reference to the, uh, the ordinal being, quote, the book of consecration of bishops, and omits the language of archbishops, um, since there's only uh, a presiding bishop in the original American context of the Episcopal Church and not an archbishop or multiple archbishops 
as you see in the Church of England by having an Archbishop in Canterbury and also in York. Article 37 of the Civil Magistrates. The King's Magistry hath the chief power in this realm of England and other his dominions, and to whom the chief government and all estates of this realm, whether they be ecclesiastical or civil, in all causes doth appertain, and is not nor ought to be subject to any foreign jurisdiction. Where we attribute to the King's Majesty the chief government, by which titles we understand the minds of some slanderous folks to be offended, we give not to our princes the ministering either of God's word or of the sacraments, though which thing the injunctions also lately set forth by Elizabeth our Queen do most plainly testify, but that our only prerogative, which we see to have been given always to all godly princes and holy scriptures by God himself, that is, that they should rule all estates and degrees committed to their charge by God, whether they be ecclesiastical or temporal, and restrain with a civil sword the stubborn and evil doers. The Bishop of Rome hath no jurisdiction in this realm of England. The laws of the realm may punish Christian men with death for heinous and grievous offenses. It is lawful for Christian men, at the commandment of the magistrate, to wear weapons and serve in the wars. Now, Article 37 is a lot different in the American context. It is not merely abbreviated, but is uh, uh, honestly it's reworded. Uh, the same effect, the same gist of the spirit uh, from the original article is there, but uh, let's just read it for comparison. Even the title uh, has been slightly uh, added to. Article 37 of the power of the civil magistrates. The power of the civil magistrate extendeth to all men as well clergy as laity, in all things temporal, but hath no authority in things purely spiritual. And we hold it to be the duty of all men who are professors of the gospel to pay respectful obedience to the civil authority, regularly and legitimately constituted. Article 38 of Christian men's goods, which are not common. The riches and goods of Christians are not common as touching the right, title, and possession of the same as certain Anabaptists do falsely boast. Notwithstanding, every man ought, of such things that he possesseth, liberally to give alms to the poor, according to his ability. Article 39 of a Christian Man's Oath As we confess that vain and rash swearing is forbidden Christian men by our Lord Jesus Christ and James' Apostle, so we judge that Christian religion doth not prohibit but that a man may swear where the magistrate requireth, in a cause of faith and charity, so it be done according to the prophet's teaching, injustice, judgment, and truth. We've now read through the 39 articles of religion, and it's interesting to note the differences between the American version of the articles, which were adopted in 1808. Uh, so yes, the American church did not technically have the articles of religion adopted uh, for nearly uh, 20 years uh, once the revolution occurred before they were formally adopted in 1808. And when they were adopted, they had changes which are pretty much minor throughout, but still notable. I hope that you have enjoyed this, but we're not gonna conclude quite yet. Uh, we're gonna have a short break and then I'm going to read the preface to the Articles of Religion. You may be thinking, why read the preface, uh, preface at the end of uh, recording these articles. And the reason why, my philosophy in doing this, is for you to listen to the articles, hopefully uh, let it kind of marinate, um, ponder and think about what the articles represent in terms of doctrine, and then read, or listen in this case, to the preface 
as to how are we to receive these articles. Now, the preface is done by uh, King Charles I, and he writes this preface uh, at a time in which there is uh, much debate, and the Church of England is, is suffering uh, internal disputes, uh, which will ultimately lead to the English Civil War uh, between the Cavaliers and the Puritans, uh, which uh, Presbyterianism um, uh, takes a hold of the Church of England, and nothing against our uh, contemporary Presbyterians today, but the, uh, the philosophy of Presbyterianism during this time period of the uh, 1600s, the mid-1600s, was very much tied into uh, republicanism. And, uh, uh, and therefore, to have a bishop was seen to be uh, support for uh, the royalty, for the monarchy. And once uh, the monarchy was overthrown, King Charles uh, is beheaded, uh, the Anglican Church is reformed from a Episcopal Church with the 39 Articles into a Presbyterian Church uh, that adheres to the uh, Westminster uh, Confession. Uh, all that uh, being said, uh, th this preface comes prior to uh, this uh, tumultuous period in uh, English history. And it gives clarity as to how to understand the Articles because there is so much debate as to how to interpret the Articles during that time period. And in this time period we live in, there's a lot of debate on whether to even receive the Articles as confessing our faith, much less what do the Articles mean. So now that you've listened to it with your own ears, hopefully you've read over them before, and you've come to your own conclusions, I'd like to now read the preface to better inform your thoughts and hopefully shape uh, the way you think about uh, the 39 Articles of Religion. So without further ado, let's take a brief break and then start up with the preface. Okay, we are back from our break, and we're going to begin now with the preface to the Articles of Religion. Now, this is not published in the American version of the prayer book because it's written uh, by King Charles I, and he's the one who ordered uh, that it is uh, issued before the Articles of Religion in each and every prayer book. Uh, therefore, this is from the uh, Book of Common Prayer, uh, the 1662 version, uh, as adopted by the Church of England. Without further ado, I'll begin. Articles agreed upon by archbishops and bishops of both provinces and the whole clergy and the convocation holding at London in the year 1562 for the avoiding of diversities of opinion and for the establishing of consent touching true religion. Reprinted by command of His Majesty King Charles I with his royal declaration prefixed thereunto. His Majesty's Declaration. Being by God's ordinance, according to our just title, Defender of the Faith, the Supreme Governor of the Church, then these are dominions, and we hold it most agreeable to this our kingly office and our own religious zeal to conserve and maintain the Church committed to our charge, in unity of true religion and in the bond of peace, and not to suffer unnecessary disputations, altercations, or questions to be raised, which may nourish faction both in the Church and Commonwealth. We have therefore, upon mature deliberation, and with the advice of so many of our bishops as might conveniently be called together, thought fit to make this declaration following. That the articles of the Church of England, which have been allowed and authorized heretofore, and which our clergy generally have subscribed unto, do contain the true doctrine of the Church of England agreeable to God's word, which we do therefore ratify and confirm, requiring all our loving subjects to continue in the uniform profession thereof and prohibiting the least difference from the said articles, which to that end we command to be new printed, and this our declaration to be published therewith. 
that we are supreme governor of the Church of England, and that if any difference arise about the external policy concerning the injunctions, canons, and other constitutions whatsoever thereto belonging, the clergy and their convocation is to order and settle them, having first obtained leave under our broad seals so to do, and we approving their said ordinances and constitutions, providing that none be made contrary to the laws and customs of the land, that out of our princely care that the churchmen may do the work which is proper to them, the bishops and clergy from time to time in convocation, upon their humble desire, shall have license under our broad seal to deliberate of, and to do all such things as, being made plain by them, and ascended into by us, shall concern the subtle continuance of the doctrine and discipline of the Church of England now established, from which we will not endure any varying or departing in the least degree, that for the present, Though some differences have been ill-raised, yet we take comfort in this, that all clergymen within our realm have always most willingly subscribed to the articles established, which is an argument to us that they all agree in the true, usual, usual, literal meaning of said articles, and that even in those curious points in which the present differences lie, men of all sorts take the articles of the Church of England to be for them, which is an argument again that none of them intend by any desertion of the articles established. That therefore, in these both curious and unhappy differences, which have for so many hundred years, in different times and places, exercised the Church of Christ, we will that all further curious search be laid aside, and these disputes shut up in God's promises, as they be generally set forth to us in the Holy Scriptures, in the general meeting of the articles of the Church of England according to them that no man hereafter shall either print or preach to draw the article aside any way, but shall submit to it in the plain and full meaning thereof, and shall not put his own sense or comment to be the meaning of the article, but shall take it in the literal and grammatical sense. That if any public reader in either of our universities, or any head or master of a college, or any other person respectfully in either of them, shall affix any new sense to any article, or shall publicly re-determine or hold any public disputation, or suffer any such to be held either way, in either the universities or colleges respectively, or if any divine in the universities shall preach or print anything in either way, other than is already established in convocation with our royal assent, he, or they the offenders, shall be liable to our displeasure and the church's censure and our commission ecclesiastical, as well as any other, and we will see there shall be due execution upon them. So now that's a long reading, and obviously, uh, I think everyone would should take heed to actually read this preface uh, together a little bit better. But I do want to make commentary uh, in this case to help anyone who's listening to it or listening to me uh, read this preface that the key to it, and you'll hear it quoted a lot if you haven't already in the Anglican context, is to look in the articles, quote, uh, to submit to it in the plain and full meaning thereof, and not put your own sense or comment to the meaning of the article, but take it in the literal and grammatical sense, end quote. Now, uh, as a uh, attorney, the, the devil is in the details. Uh, we can always make arguments uh, over what is the literal and grammatical sense of an article of religion, but the whole point of this preface was to depart from uh, disturbances in the church, uh, as the preface uh, so beautifully puts it, and to uh, end and terminate debates over what, quote, your own sense, you know, 
of the article means um, and to stop any sort of academic uh, disputation that would further tear apart uh, a united church. And uh, the context that this is written is that the main dispute during this time period uh, is that over predestination uh, and what is predestination and, uh, and what it means, how uh, it is affected. That caused a lot of uh, debate uh, during this uh, pre-Civil War era of the Church of England. And uh, that is one of the, the uh, uh, largest or, or highest uh, um, reasons for this being uh, put to paper and ordered by the king uh, to be printed before uh, the copy of the Articles of Religion. But what I would say that we should gather from it is that it's a great guide for us who have received the Articles and are wrestling with them and understanding them uh, in order to make sure that our doctrine is in line uh, with our faith. That if these articles are not meant to be arrows uh, to be used inside of Anglicanism to separate us from each other, but instead they are to be utilized to unite us, that doesn't mean that we water it down to the least common denominator, but that we look at the uh, plain and full meaning thereof, uh, as the preface states, of the articles and also to take it in the literal and grammatical sense and obviously not try to put something there that is not there. Um, so I think that it's a good guide for us. It's something to bear in mind so the next time you uh, listen to the articles on this podcast or if you uh, pick up uh, your articles of religion from the prayer book and, and read through them or you pull it up online, uh, keep this in mind when you're trying to understand the context of uh, what do the articles uh, mean, what are they telling us, what is the doctrine to be taught. I want to thank you again uh, for joining me uh, on this journey of reading through the articles. I hope it was helpful. Uh, I'm sure that there's uh, people with a lot better radio voices who could do this, and hopefully someone else will take on this project again. But uh, I noticed this was something not available to the church. wanted to provide it as a service, and I plan on continuing to do other recordings, uh, in this case, of the prayer book, uh, such as the classic catechism, uh, hopefully to be a, another way of utilizing for catechesis classes or, or just to teach yourself as you're driving through the car. The, uh, the great prayer book uh, catechism, which is short, sweet to the point, and teaches the, the basic elements of the faith uh, in order to qualify for being confirmed in the church and, uh, and therefore being uh, eligible to receive communion uh, under the classical prayer books. Uh, if you have any other suggestions, uh, please feel free to, to reach out. Uh, I don't know if I have my email on the podcast, but you can certainly reach me on our website, uh, goodshepherdacna.com. Uh, my email is andrew.brazier at anglicanchaplains.org. Uh, I look forward to hearing your feedback uh, or suggestions for future podcasts, uh, besides obviously uploading our sermons, which uh, I hope that you do enjoy. Thank you again. I hope you have a wonderful day, and God bless.